Blog Talk Radio. Let's get lost in a better place. Pick up the world, travel through time and space. So much to learn, so much to see. A chance to escape reality. Open your mind and your heart. Gain new knowledge for a fresh new start. They never will bring you there So let's talk about it When life and on the air Good morning everyone, this is Fran Lewis This is MJ Network and memory of my sister, Marsha Joyce. I am so excited. We have the author of The Mirrored Palettes, David Rich here. Good morning, how are you? Hello? David? Can you hear me? I know he's there. I can't possibly be whole time. Hello? Can you Friend. hear me now? Hi. I, I can hear, hear you. you before. Oh, good. Thank God. <laughs> no, there's, been some, there's been some snags with blog talk and like, oh, God. So... This book is really interesting, and so tell something that gives you or reflects a picture of something else. As you read this novel, you learn more about the many faces that are created and attached to three of the main characters. Their reflections in the mirrors are just simple facade, but when I get to unravel the layers beneath their skin, what will the mirrors show? So tell us about Reynolds first and why he sent an attache to spy, and what would his role be? This is really intriguing, this novel. Well, thank you. Uh, Reynolds, I needed a way in to tell the story of Burton, uh, you know, uh, which is an unknown, unknown story, though people had hints of what, what had really gone on. And you needed someone who wasn't, uh, who wasn't going to alienate Hodgson. Hodgson knew, knew the truth. And how, the question was, how do you get it, get it out of him? And you needed, and Reynolds had a checkered past. He was the you know, uh, the bottom of his class at West Point, and uh, caught doing this, uh, you know, gambling, caught with uh, officers' wives. He was a rogue, and and he was desperate because his his military career was going to go nowhere. And his family was was not going to help him, so he needed this very much, and that's why Reynolds was the right guy to send for this. Well, tell us about my. I like the other character, by the way, Hodgson. So how come Hodgson. the army wanted him out of? Yeah, I like him. How come the army wanted him out of the way, and what was his mission, and why? I love this guy. Sorry. Well, Hodgson <laughs> was the old master spy. For, you know, he'd been in India, and he'd been he'd been all over Eastern Europe, and he knew all the ins and outs of all sorts of uh, British enterprises, secret enterprises over the years. And as you know, he built his own spy empire in a sense, and that brought him power. He knew secrets about other Brits as well as you know, foreigners. 
And the new generation came in. He was an old guy, and they had enough of him. He wanted to do things his way, and they wanted to change things. And he was using they, his, his knowledge. He was sort of, in, in an odd way, a sort of a, a J. Edgar Hoover character to them. And uh, they couldn't ret- retire him because they, they feared the secrets he'd reveal. So they figure, well, well, we'll keep him on board. And then in a sort of, you know, British uh, snooty way, they, they said, well, we have to liaise with the Americans and we'll give them Reynolds, not knowing what Reynolds' real mission would be. Just yeah. as a way to keep, keep Hodgson in the field, but not dangerous. And, of course, it backfired on them. I know everything is dangerous. Oh boy! You know, I actually <laughs> I looked up the the mirrored palace in India that was so beautiful, and I'm going like, wouldn't it be cool to walk into some place filled with mirrors and stuff? Because I said this, yeah. this is so and the title itself. So who is my other favorite character? Richard Burton. Now was he a real character, real person? Oh, Richard Burton is one of the one of the most dashing, famous adventurers in history. He, yeah. uh, I think most famous for discovering the source of the Nile. And there's been movies about that, Mountains of the Moon, and there have been BBC series about that. He also uh, uh, traveled across Africa and uh, on other missions. He came to the U.S., actually, and traveled to meet with Brigham Young because he was always interested in religions. And uh, he had been in India He'd gotten kicked out of Cambridge, you know, after one year, less than a year, and joined the army. And the army quickly discovered his ability as a spy. He, uh, there was a, a series of male brothels in India, and the, the generals wanted to close them down. And so they assigned Burton to go undercover and... Uh, he did so, but he made a lot of enemies amongst British officers there. Uh, he didn't care about making enemies. He could. Uh, Burton was a great swordsman. He was a great shooter. He, he was a great uh, horseman. Everything. He, and he, of course, knew over 30 languages, translated many, many dozens of texts, among them the Thousand and One Nights and the Kama Sutra. That's amazing. So what is, I hope I pronounced this right, a haji? How did that come into play? Well, the haj is the, is the uh, pilgrimage that every Muslim mm. is uh, obliged to take it once in his lifetime to Mecca. Um, and uh, a haji is someone who goes on the haj. Uh, so, it's, you know, and it's, of course, a very secretive and closed event, especially then. Uh, And no one, there had been actually, I think, two accounts before Burton of Europeans who had done it. But both of them, I think, were were cases of, one was a case of uh, the the European was, uh, I think, forced to go. He was a slave. And the the other was uh, the European had, had converted. So Burton went, uh, you know, uh, sort of in an anthropological study sense. 
originally. Well, you do. You use uh, flashbacks in journals. Who, whose journal was it that you found that they that you used in order to describe what happened? I think this is the Hodgson uh, found this and he related that. So they presented their versions of the incident. What exactly did they that it involved? Well, Burton, in real life, mm-hmm. Burton wrote a, a three-volume journal about his hives. And, and, and started from the time he arrived from Europe in Alexandria, Egypt. He, he arrived, originally he, he posed as a, a Persian. And uh, he was getting his act together, you know. He was, he was making sure because he had to, he knew he'd be examined at every stage on this. He'd be examined the way he brushed his teeth. The way he prayed, of course, every detail mm-hmm. of prayer, and then someone clued him in that that uh, the Persians were not very popular amongst most Hajis. Most Arabs who are not Persians uh, look down on the Persians. So he changed his identity there in Alexandria and became a, a Pakistani. Uh, actually, Sindh was the area, mm-hmm. the part of India at the time. And and then he spent time in Cairo, and he wrote all this in journals, a three-volume journal. When, when he was finished, it became a huge international hit, as you can imagine, because no one mm-hmm. had ever done this. So I, I said, well, we've got this. It would be silliness for me to, to say, uh, re- to try to reproduce uh, the authentic moments of the Hajj without I, all I'd be doing is paraphrasing Burton. Why not use Burton's journal? And then the question is, but if the, if the mission were really more, which I say it was, it was a spy mission. How can I reveal that? And then the question is, is there another journal that's unknown until now, but Hodgson knows of it. And that's how that came about. That's amazing. So what were their roles as spies? And how how can somebody be a spy and not know, people don't know that they're a spy? Well, isn't that isn't that sort of the heart of being a spy? Is not letting people yeah, know no, you're a spy. Yeah, no, that's fine though. <laughs> <laughs> the um, uh, you know, Burton he had to have his act perfect, and you know, and he, had, and he was challenged in real life all the time. You know, I, he's, it, people tested him, tested his language, tested the way he prayed. Uh, and then he just kept the mission to himself and, and knowing that once he completed the mission, getting out, of course, that's always the danger for the spy, that once you've been revealed, you're, you're, the danger has increased. But uh, that's, that's the art of being a great spy is not letting people know who you are and yet still being able to complete the mission. That's why killed. he was... And then don't get killed along the way. That's part of this, a uh, big part of it. <laughs> um, so and that's one of the reasons Hodgson so revered Burton. He knew what a difficult task he'd set for him. And yet Burton pulled it off. Yeah, I like that character. There's a lot more we can say about him. So what did Reynolds yeah. want? Why did he want to hear the entire story of both men? He's a curious character. Reynolds? Yeah, he's different. Well, Reynolds 
Reynolds is fascinated with becoming a spy. Yeah. You know, this is this is his great chance in life. And and uh no one has ever pulled this story out of Hodgson. No one knows what the relationship was, what really happened between them. And and Reynolds is warned, of course, at the very beginning when he's when he's assigned, whatever you do, you know, don't go there. Don't ask what happened. So for a guy like Reynolds, of course, you know, that's gonna mean that's like saying, you know, don't eat the telling a little kid, don't eat the candy bar that's in front of you. <laughs> and and so of course he was gonna he was going to think about that all the time. And then it was becomes a life lesson for him on, on spying. And then the whole book becomes lessons on spying. Hodgson's the master spy. Reynolds is a student who eventually, you know, turns the tables on him. And, of course, Burton is, you know, the great spy who pulled off the great mission at great now sacrifice. This, this scene really got me. Burton's wife... I don't know. Why did she want to destroy the papers and books? And now did they save the journal? Because she she just well, wanted to des- destroy his memory, and I got really upset. I'm going like, she claims she cared, but not really. That's in, th- that happened in life. In, in fact, really? when, when yes, when Burton died, uh, yeah. she built a bonfire and started mm-hmm. destroying his papers and books. Uh, and, and fortunately she didn't destroy it all. I mean, there's a lot left. And, uh, but it said that the real reason, and there are many, you know, who knows what reasons she was a complicated character. She'd fallen in love with him in uh, Boulogne where it used to be a sort of, uh, a dating scene, uh, for, uh, English and some European, uh, Young ladies and the, the eligible officers would come and court them. And uh, Burton, Burton was there, but Burton would not participate. He just wouldn't go along with the, sort of the rituals. And uh, you know, he, he mocked them. And she fell for him. She wrote in her diary. She said, "I was either going to become a nun or married to Richard Burton." That was it. So she devoted herself to him completely. Completely, and she's really smart. Her journals, her books, she's a good writer. But she's a Catholic and uh, very much wanted him to be a Catholic. And, and she, he, he wrote freely about sex. You know, everybody knows he translated the Kama Sutra, but he also translated, uh, it's called The Scented Garden which has a lot of homosexual sex in it. And she was either ashamed of it or she suspected he was gay or it's hard to know, but she protected, she was worried about his reputation. Mm. She wanted to protect his reputation when he died. So he, she burnt a lot of the papers. She, she burnt version of his newest version of the scented garden. And he was retranslating it. And then, you know, uh, she, she built this monument. It still exists in Mortlake. It's out near Wimbledon, not far from Wimbledon in England, where it's a, a model of a Bedouin tent. 
and and that's uh, where his his bones are. Well, his mission was to get whose daughter did he want to get back? There was a reason for well, this whole thing. Well, the what the, the the that's a pretext that I've invented. In other words, yeah, I wanted <laughs> to, uh, to to make it you know to make it a spy story. Hodgson needed a needed a spy mission, and knowing that the Crimean War was coming, we're talking about it's 1852, uh, and and there's spying to be done. The Crimean War, the English and the French were going to fight the Russians in in uh, the Crimea, in which is you know is near the Black Sea, and uh, they, Hodgson came across a Bulgarian who knew where the Russian gun placements were, knew where the Russian troops were. And, uh, but the Russian's daughter had been kidnapped into a harem in Medina. And he made a deal with Hodgson. If you bring back my daughter, I then will spy for you and tell you everything I know about the Russian, the Russian mm-hmm. army in the area. And then, therefore, then Hodgson thought, who the hell can bring back the daughter from the, the harem? There's only one person, Richard Burton. That is scary. Now, I have to ask this question because the book is in front of me, which is really good because I keep all the books before I hand them to somebody else that wants to read them. Chapter 12 and all of them, you have like a, a, a little passage that says, a little saying that tells you sort of what's going to happen next. So in Chapter 12, you wrote, in which I enter a shop and find what I'm looking for, what I hope not to find. How did you create those right before the chapters? And then you well, have another one. Yeah, that is ahead. fun. And number 13, you said, in which we depart from Medina, attempt to solve a mystery, and arrive at the festival. How did you create those? Because those really like, okay, I can't wait to read this chapter. This is going to be good. <laughs> good. I'm glad you said that. I'm glad you said that because, you know, I, oh, I, uh, um, my favorite novel is Tom Jones. Okay. And. And that's something that Henry Fielding does at the beginning of each chapter. And I, you know, I must have read that that stuff, you know, ten times in the course of the years. And I always thought someday I'm going to try that. And uh, now I only try it in the part that's Burton's journal, right? I don't try it in the in the part that, you know, the the early part of the book. Um, so I'm glad it works because I, I always wanted to do it. That's me. What can I tell you? Now, at the core of this novel is the prince, who I did not trust to start with. So, at the top of chapter 15, you wrote, in which I meet Prince Rashid, and he meets me, and I am betrayed. So, we know we can't trust him. How come? What exactly was his role, this guy? Well, Prince Rashid is in the middle of it all. Uh, not realizing uh, his his role in the in the drama, and then he doesn't know. He he knows that he's bought the Bulgarian's daughter for his harem. He's got a harem of twelve women, you know. And uh, but he doesn't know anyone would 
think for one second of coming and trying to rescue a woman from the harem. It never would occur. You know, he's vain. And, of course, like, you know, any, any uh, prince, he's kowtowed to. No one would ever, you know, uh, criticize him or tell him uh, anything is wrong in his world. So Prince Rashid is, just wants to, you know, live his, live his life. And, and he, if he sees danger, of course, he's going to react to it. But he has no idea of the uh, depth of the uh, uh, deceit that's going on around him until slowly it, it dawns on him after, you know, it all unfolds. And then down in Medina when he meets with Hodgson and strikes the final deal. That's scary. But there are other characters that come into play, but there's a terminology. They would think they refer this to Hodgkin. What is what is a Darwash, Darwish? Not a doctor. What exactly is he supposed to? I was like, what? <laughs> ah, well, a Darwish, think of a dervish. It's just another way of saying dervish. You know, when we okay. think of dervishes, we think of whirling dervish, right, which is a uh, a sort of mystical uh, Sufi. Sufi is a um, uh, a mystical branch of uh, Islam, and uh, a dervish is someone who uh, puts himself into a mystical trance to dance. Uh, that's how we think of them now, whirling dervishes. But in in fact, they were religious uh, wanderers. It could be like the equivalent of a medieval friar uh, who goes around begging and helping the poor. And they could be somebody who had any kind of profession at all. He could have been a glazier. He could have been a doctor. And in this case, Burton poses as a doctor who is a, also a Darwish. That's the term he uses instead of dervish. And, and they're, they're treated with great respect because they're holy men. You know, they, they know all the prayers. They've they're got great insights. They're supposed to have wisdom. And so it was a perfect disguise for him. Uh, it brought, brought a certain amount of protection. Unfortunately, it also brought a certain amount of attention. That you know that might might be a little bit unwanted, but he pulled it off. Obviously, he really does pull it off. He's a really good character. I mean, I like this guy. Yeah. So on chapter nineteen, it says, I mean, I've got, "It's a good thing I keep these books." In which Barzowski unmasks himself and, failing at a bargain, right off to meet his destiny, which arrives from the sky. Who is this guy? And then we're going to have to talk about. The daughter. Right. Um, uh, Barzuki um, is, I don't want to reveal too much of the plot. No, don't. That's okay. <laughs> Barzuki is, uh, befriends Burton. You know, uh, first Burton saves him in Suez. There's that scene where uh, the robbers, Gamil, uh, who were, Gamil is the guy, the thief who uh, Ali was traveling with. And and uh, Gamil and his men robbed Barzuki. And Burton, seeing this, 
decides to help Barzuki and and gets his gets his purse back, and they become friends on the journey. And of course, Barzuki is traveling with his uh, his servant Zod, Zod the Demon, um, who's a big man and uh, very friendly, and I hope uh, congenial character. And then Barzuki plays a surprising role after after the Hodge, um, and it turns out there are some twists involved in his his world. It is a big twist. Now we have the prince. I have my, you know, feeling about him. I'm not sure. Now he's you don't trust him, and yet he, you know, he changes his actions in midstream. So. Um, it says the choices made the prince extend his generosity along with constraints. So who is Lita? Well, Lita is the woman that that Burton had fallen in love with before the mission. Yeah. And and uh, this is what kicked off the whole novel for me. Uh, I had been searching for years for a way to tell Burton's story. And uh, I was fooling around on the internet, and I came across an account written by uh, Burton's niece, in which she said, "My uncle fell in love with a Persian woman. It was the love of his life. And when her parents discovered the affair, they killed her." And I said, "Well, that's you know, for a guy to you know, go through that, and he's the guy who." translated the Arabian Nights and if you know the Arabian Nights and you know how those stories have twists and and the way they they come out of you know they're, they're so surprising but from that I think I could build a novel and so that's that's who Lita is now let's get to the good stuff <laughs> the reason why <laughs> I thought that was the good happened. stuff yeah I read this, but I read it over, and I have the book in front of me so it can remind me. Um, do we have Abdullah Hussein and um, Anuka? That's the that's the girl that they want to get back. But the character that fascinated me most was I don't have the it's pronounced S A apostrophe A D. Tell us about him yeah, and the stories. He fascinated. He was really interesting. I liked him, even oh, though. Good. There was like a question mark about him, but he was interesting. Thank you. That, that's uh, Saad, Saad the Demon. Yeah. And he is a real character, believe it or not. Uh, he was on the on the Hajj along with Burton. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I changed him and, you know, used him in a different way. But... Uh, there's so many of these characters that Burton met along the way, and Burton was a great observer of people. He didn't um, look down on others, and that's not to say that he just that he admired everyone, or or didn't or saw them through rose-colored glasses. He saw them as they were, but he he could enjoy who people were uh, with all their faults, and Saad is a good storyteller and braggart and, and uh, a fun character. That, that scene where uh, uh, they, they get onto the boat uh, at Suez and, and 
they take the position on the poop deck, which is a, a little higher area. And then the, the Mugrabis, the Mugrabis are the people from northern Africa, uh, rush at them and try and take over. And, and Saad battles with them. That's, that's real. That happened. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know what really helped, though? The glossary in the back of the book. <laughs> Seriously. Oh, good. I'm glad. I'm glad yeah, that because, was a you suggestion. Know, terminology <laughs> is hard sometimes, and you don't know what some of the words mean and some of the traditions that I thought were really good, especially salam, peace as a greeting, and some of the other ones. I mean, I, you you don't know what some of these what these are. Uh, my fish, nothing. So I'm looking and go back and forth, and I go like, okay, now I get what he's trying to say. So. Here we go. That's now, cool. Isabel, poor Isabel, how does he hide How does he hide Lita from Isabel, oh, poor thing, when she finds out, oh, my God? Well, right. It's, it's oh, so, you know, so uh, devoted to Burton that, that she just, she simply denies Isabel's, she denies Lita's existence. Mm-hmm. She says, you know, my husband loved me. I loved my husband, and that's that. And anything Hodgson says that otherwise is not true. Hodgson used my husband. He was, you know, he he used him as a spy. He tricked him, and and he's not to be trusted. And and that the real story of my husband. Is, is his devotion to me. It's the work that he's done, you know, that I, that now Isabel controls. Um, and, you know, she's just one of those very, very, very firm people with a real vision of how she wants the world to see her husband, what she's going to present. You know, uh, as she presented this amazing funeral in Trieste that she'd arranged um, you know, Burton is not the kind of guy, in truth, who would support such an event. Uh, he he wasn't a believer, I think. I think, of really of any religion. Um, he imitated the religions, you know, for whatever purpose at the time. So when he was on the Hajj, he was imitating being a Muslim, and he. He, he did it with sincerity, but there's a difference between being a believer and imitating it. And it's the same thing with the Catholicism. Uh, he imitated it for her benefit, uh, but she was very firm, and uh, and she pulled it off to some extent. Uh, though she had right, you know, people who uh, uh, challenged her because they knew Burton differently. Well, if you're reading chapter 51, which is really interesting, it's more about him and Lita. So how come he decided to not be with Lita? So sad. Well. <laughs> um, I mean, poor, poor, poor Richard. He couldn't, no matter what he did, he couldn't win. What thing? <laughs> There you go. He couldn't win. Yes. Well, that's why it's a tragedy. Um, yeah, he couldn't win. 
But uh, he, uh, so once this was over, you know, he mm-hmm. had further adventures. He went to the Nile afterwards, you know, and af- after he came back from, they got very sick on the Nile expedition, very sick. And he had to be brought back to England and his partner, John Speak, uh, came back to England and, and uh, took credit. He said, while Burton was sick in the tent, I went on and did all this. And Burton challenged him, and it was a very serious challenge in front of the Geographical Society, uh, and, and vicious. And uh, I think uh, Speak died uh, before it came down to the final moments in front of the society to have it actually settled, which deprived Burton of a chance to to prove his part in the discovery of the Nile. Um, and after that, he was a little bit uh, shunned by the mm. the establishment, and he had more adventures. But financing was tougher. He, they, they, he became a consul in some outposts. You know, for a while he was consul in uh, uh, Damascus. He was in Gabon, and then finally consul in uh, Trieste. But that's sort of a backwater, you know, considering the British Empire. Is this a standalone, or are you going to bring anybody back again? Is there more? Uh, this is a standalone. Um, it's possible that someday I might explore Burton coming to America. Yeah, that's what um, I thought too. That that you know it might be. I haven't looked into it, um, but it's it's. Uh, I, that's always a tough question <laughs> when when you set out with these things. Uh, you have a really good idea and a good story and good characters, and you go, well, yeah. Uh, you know, why let it go? If the characters are so good, bring them back. But you have to have also the 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 grabber to the story and the urgency and the feeling. So I'm not sure I can reproduce the feeling of this mm-hmm. on the trip to America, but maybe I can. Someday I'll fool around with it. I don't know. You think I should try? Yeah, I think so. Otherwise, I wouldn't have said it. Okay, okay. now before I forget, next Wednesday we have a panel show on very unique topics, and if anybody wants to know what they are, they have to listen. On the 18th, I had to postpone something from Monday to this till the 18th. Uh, Baby Moses is a very interesting novel, very controversial, too. On the 22nd, Pastor Michael will be back. We're going to talk about the seven habits of highly effective Christians. And on the 24th, somebody that is amazing, Lee Matthew Goldberg, Iron City. It's really scary. On the 29th, The Madness of Q. And on the 31st, what better way to end the month with New York Times author Philip Margolin. It's a matter of life and death. Robin Lockwood at her best. I am, like, so pumped. It is fantastic. Now, let's get back to business here. Tell us about the girl that the father sent him on the journey. How did she feel? Why did she like the prince so much? She didn't want to leave. She didn't want to leave. That's the no. key. <laughs> That's the scary part, well, yeah. 
<laughs> well, you know, think of it this way. It's 1852, 1853, and yeah. uh, your, your father is, let's say, a minor Bulgarian military officer, and you're living in the hills there in Bulgaria, and, you know, what are your prospects and what's your life like? And then suddenly, here you're living in the lap of luxury, and, you're, you know, you're treated beautifully. And, uh, you know, it's not, maybe 99% of women would say, no way, I'm a prisoner. Right? I, I want no, you know, get me out of here. But there's going to be a 1% who go, hey, this is a lot better than what I had. You know, the prince loves me. I, you know, I sit around all day in luxury. So she, mm. for her, it wasn't bad. Uh, she, maybe she's not the most brilliant person that I've ever lived. Um, but, uh, and, and certainly Burton didn't count on that. He assumed she'd want to get out of there. She was, you know, if you're in a harem, you're a prisoner. But uh, he was wrong. So she she became a difficulty, and of course she was a manipulator as well. Because yeah, once I know they, she's good at it too. Good at it. But once she's on the run, she's got the two boys, you know, Dinesh and Ali, uh, vying for her, and she knows how to manipulate them. I just read that part over and over again because you never know when you need new skills. Seriously. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously. So what research did you do before you wrote this? And how did you come up with the title, Mirrored Palace? Because that's really good. Well, the title comes from a poem that Burton translated. It's uh, uh, as as, uh, palace mirrored in the stream, as vapor mingled with the skies. So weaves the brain of mortal man, the tangled web of truth and lies. And I said, well, let's make a good title for this, Mirrored Palace. And then the research was all fun. Uh, uh, Besides Burton's journals, which I read a few times, Burton's journals, you can't believe the detail. Well, you you can. I've got some of the detail in there. You know, uh, a toothbrush has to be made a special way. And everyone has to be, know it's made that way because otherwise they suspect it's made of pig bristle. And, and they're, since they're Muslim, they cannot use any pig products. So that's, you know, that's uh, not allowed. The, the details of the kind of pills he gives as a doctor, the details of how you pray, of what you wear, where you wear your weapons, how you hold your weapons. Everything is all fascinating stuff from him. And then you went to some secondary sources on this stuff. And then there's general history. There's history of uh, British naval movements. There's history you know, of British diplomatic things. There's, there's the uh, uh, Hodgson uh, is aware of a, a, uh, American naval movements, which is, you know, a big part of the stuff between Hodgson and Reynolds. I like, I like doing research. Uh, it's fun. And, and it helps you, it helps you know your characters in a funny way because it's all characters is so much, characters are so much about assumptions. 
uh, what do people, they don't tell you what they're thinking. It's just they act on these assumptions about the world. And, and uh, you want to know what they are. When you walk into an, uh, an inn and, and you're going to want dinner, uh, is it like walking into uh, the Olive Garden here? <laughs> where the assumption is they're going to push the appetizers at you. Um, the answer, of course, from that is no. But what's the assumption when you walk in and you're going to, and you're going to eat and, and spend the evening? You like to know these things. Well, to know how I got to read David's book, you could thank Charles Salzburg. He's done it to me several times, again this week, by the way. When he put down oh. on Facebook, yeah, he put down that he was going to read your book. By the way, my review is out on Just Reviews, and I posted it on my Facebook wall when 27 stars on Amazon a while ago. And, oh, great. Um, actually, what happens is it's, it's amazing. I don't know why. All of a sudden, everybody's reading. The minute I post something, like 10 people tell me they're going to read the book. That's and, great. Um, yeah, well, it's a first, too. <laughs> But, yeah, I was honored this week, and I can't believe I was honored with anything. But I posted a review on a horror book. This book is called Heart Fever, and I was given the award for top review on Isabella Blackthorne for this particular book, and I went, okay. (laughs) Nice. It's like... Yeah, I, I thought it was nice. Yeah, it's different. I was like, okay, finally somebody realized that I know what I'm doing, I think, I hope. But your, your review That's is cool. on my Facebook wall. So where does Hodges yeah, yeah. wind up at the end? I, and who is a better spy, him or Burton? I'm not going to tell you what I think. They're both oh, good, I'm gonna tell you. A Being question. a spy is fun. That is so much fun if you don't get caught, though. Yeah. <laughs> well, not getting caught is the fun. That's the you know the danger is the fun. Uh, who's a better spy? I'd say Hodgson is the better spy. Yeah, I think so too. Because Hodgson is more cynical than Burton. Burton. Feeling means more to him, even though he can be quite analytical and removed from things. He's not a completely mm. cynical being. Whereas Hodgson, it seems, was let you know the cynicism uh, ate him up. So he's not a happier man or a better off man or anything. But when it came to uh, devising the intricacies and sticking with them and carrying them out, uh, Hudson would be the guy. He's the master spy. He's, he's the guy who, who knows it all and, and uh, has pulled it off in a way. Uh, so, yeah. I don't think he could ever give up being a spy because he loves the intrigue and the danger, right? So if exactly. he had another case, if you brought him back, which I think is really cool, then he probably, you know, could pull up just about anything, and maybe he could become an investigator and help every people in the present find out what they need to know from the past. Ah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Hudson, 
I said, you got him right. He could he could pull off almost anything. He's... This is good. I haven't lost my touch yet. So, <laughs> where do you, that, this is my problem because when I read something, and this is the truth, um, I look for something other than what's on the surface, and I look to see what the author's trying to say, and hopefully I get it. I usually do, they tell me. But I blend, like that, on, on my, I blend that on my depressor when I got my second master's in reading. He said some, he saw something in me that nobody else ever did, and it was his, his fault that I got so smart, so I can thank him. This is good. <laughs> um, That's great. So, you, you have two different master's degrees? I have four, actually. Four? Only four? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I got a couple. The first one in education was just little. The second one is because somebody dared me to get a master's in reading because I'm really good at working with kids with learning disabilities. And she said, why don't you get the next increment? You can do this. It was the best thing I ever did. And then I got um, one in administration and supervision and a further one in administration and supervision called a PD, or however you want. It's like a PhD, but it's a professional diploma. And it's because of my my mother. Yeah. Wow. So... Yeah, I did. And there's, there's something called, there's a book called Understanding Reading by Frank Smith, The Psycholinguistics of Reading. And in that book, it teaches you how to look past what's on the page and find what's deeper than the surface. And I uh-huh. guess I learned how to do it somehow. Um, that's fantastic. So, yeah, that's what helps me do my book reviews. Yeah, that shows a little bird. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that and the fact that I wish my sister was still here to do my editing. What can I say? But that's uh, okay. I have a backup. So where do you, if we brought Reynolds back in another book, where would you see him next? Would he still, you know, send people on missions if he could? Well, yes. Reynolds is a character that you can bring back, I think, the easiest. Um, and, and uh, you know, World War One's coming. Uh, so if, if the Reynolds part of the story is 1890, so uh, 24 years later, uh, there's World War One. Reynolds is still a young man. Well, not young, but he's not old. And uh, the intrigue leading up to World War One, there's certainly available spy stories. Uh, so he'd be the right guy. Um, and uh, well placed for that, and uh, that that's something I've I've sort of considered. I'm actually reading a book of spy World War One spy stories right now, mm. um, but uh, that's that's some time off for me. You know, some time ahead. I've got some other books I want to write, but uh, yes, Reynolds is is a character who could come back. And having had this experience. Now we know that Reynolds, what Reynolds is going to be capable of. So what would happen? You know, I tried to, as, as I was reading the book, and reading the journals and visualizing it. How would you picture a palace with a, a mirrored palace? That's what I mean. That's why I kept looking up different places that had palaces with mirrors. How would you picture if you walked into this prince's palace? Fritz Rashid, who we have a you know question mark about him. How would you pick? How would you portray it if you had to draw a picture of it? Well, the ceiling 
Think of it yeah. as uh, uh, panels of mirrors of different sizes and shapes. I think that would be important. That it would, would not be uniform. And, and different angles so that the mirrors uh, reflected uh, uh, different, different parts of the other mirrors. You know, it was all over. And then I, I would have the mirrors, you know, they'd be mostly on the ceiling. Um, and, uh, yeah, that would be my, that would be how it would be. It wouldn't be entirely mirrors, but you'd have mirrors done in a way that made the visuals disorienting because of the angles and shapes. That's what I would do. Yeah, I could imagine. It must be beautiful. It must be beautiful, though. But I don't know how many people would want to see themselves coming and going in mirrors, depending yeah. on what, depending on what angle. I I, I did that only a long time ago, because um, I weighed 200 pounds. Now I weigh 108 pounds, and I never will gain weight again. Um, you ever go into the house of mirrors? It's scary. <laughs> I thought about yeah. that. I go like, oh my God, there's a, there was a house of mirrors. I don't think very many people would want to see which angle they came out. When I thought about That's this, I true. go like, but a, but a palace is so beautiful, though. So right. sad. Right. So, it would be more um, about seeing yeah. other angles of the palace than about seeing yeah. yourself. That's true, too. But sometimes people look in a mirror and don't really see themselves. That's yes, what it says about true. the title too. So, right. what, so what role did Queen Victoria have? I liked her, by the way. I like Queen Victoria. Oh, you do? Yeah, I don't like. I'm not. I don't know about Queen Elizabeth. Hmm. But Queen Victoria, she was interesting. Yeah. Anybody with a little, that's not you know perfectly wonderful is interesting. Right. Well, you're right about that. Well, Queen Victoria <laughs> has no real role in this. You know she's she's queen and and, and England is run by the politicians, and and, uh, and you know in Hodgson's case the spies, and and there's you know the the inefficiency the British Empire at that time, that was probably uh, the height of their power in India. In India, I think 1857 was the Sepoy Rebellion, uh, which came as a big shock to the English, uh, foolishly. They were shocked to find out the Indians did not love being subjugated. <laughs> and mm. uh, uh, then things changed, and, and the East India Company gave way to the government more and more. Um, but, uh, you know, it's like any country, it becomes very powerful, and then the, there's a certain amount of incompetence and bureaucracy that goes into it all, and that's all going on in the background. And again, Hodgson uh, threatens them because he has real knowledge, and it's not knowledge. You know, a lot of people don't want you to their civil servants to have real knowledge. They want them only you know whatever the politicians want them to think I often think that some of the people in Washington should keep quiet and <laughs> good luck I 
Uh, yeah, I, I don't listen to the news anymore anyway because they don't have anything to say that I haven't already heard, memorized, or asked at this point. Yes. Seriously. Yes. I know. It's, it's like repetitive. I know. That which is which is why there are some programs on television that are totally ridiculous, and sometimes you just got to watch them and laugh. Seriously. Yeah. So, so if if is Isabel at the end, we're not going to say what she does. Would Isabel, I think, about moving on to someone else, or is she just going to always, in her mind, be faithful to Richard? Oh, always faithful to Richard. Richard, Richard, Richard is everything. You know, she's devoted. She devotes her life, yeah. the rest of her life, to him, and she builds that memorial at Mortlake, and, yeah. and uh, writes. As I say, she writes very well. If anybody is ever interested in just picking up, uh, uh, you know, something that, that other people haven't read, uh, she wrote some books about her life with Richard. Uh, and, and one is about their time in Dis- Damascus. She's just very good, very insightful, and her details are very clear. Um, but everything's Richard, Richard, Richard. There'll be no other men. I think I have Hodgson teasing Reynolds at the very idea. I say, watch out, you know, mm. she, might try to, she might try to snag you, but Hodgson knows better. So before we end, what is next for you, and where can everybody get a million copies of this book? Well, I'm working on a on a historical novel, uh, oh, nice. World War Two. Uh, I don't want to say too much about it, but it's you know World War Two novel and uh, having some fun with it. Uh, you know, a little different from this one, but uh, you know, I sort of follow my nose with these things wherever wherever it takes me, and and. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't necessarily make, uh, you know, uh, I try not to make do these things as business decisions. I just try to make them as uh, whatever interests me and then see what happens. And, uh, of course, Mirrored Palace you can get online, and you mm. know what that means. And, yeah. uh, and you can get it at the bookstores now. It was a little bit slow coming out of to bookstores. There's a small mm. publisher named Adelaide Books. Very cooperative, good good people, but uh, small. And but now it's uh, it's in the bookstores, and so uh, always I, I call your bookseller. I doubt too many carry it just by chance, but I hope people enjoy it. Well, after I finish with them, they will enjoy it. Don't worry about there you that. Go. There yeah, you I, go. I don't I don't know, and I have to say. Um, my new book is going to come out, I hope, in May or June. I have no idea. We'll see. I got picked What's up by title? Atmosphere Press, which is writes enjoys my craziness and horror. I write scary. More like the um, Twilight Zone. And the title of the um, book is called great. Population Zero. They sort of changed my part of my title. I wanted it to be called Population Zero, The World Without People. They came up with Population Zero, it's on my phone, Stories of the World's End, and it deals with what happens when there are no people in the world, but I created a world with no sun, darkness, cold, a dilapidated forest, and there's no research. I just made it up, totally made it up. And what I did was after I described the world, I invited a dead person or spirit to come back, 
and tell you what would happen if they had to live in my world. And I did it because of what's going on with this horrific pandemic, and I want people to understand that this is not a joke, it's serious. Right. And, yeah, there are a lot of people that are not taking it seriously. So before I end, this is what I end every show with. Just one small ask, be smart. When you go outside, wear a mask. It'll save your life, and it'll save everyone else. And it'll protect you from getting that horrific virus. Trust me. And Good advice, and congratulations on yeah, the book. Yeah, trust, trust me. <laughs> Bye. My whole family had it in Florida, and my sister-in-law and my brother, my nephew just got over it, my brother I'm worried about. So anybody that thinks this is a joke, it's not. But, David, thank you so much. Do you do panel shows, by the way? Because I do crazy things, too, panel shows. You never know what I'm going to ask. Oh, good. Very good. That helps me. Just let me know. Okay, everybody, have a great day. It's a beautiful day outside. And for those of you that are in Upper Westchester, it's sunny and 54 degrees. We're having a heat wave. I don't even need a jacket. Great. <laughs> Everybody have a great day, David. Thank you so much, and bye. Thank you, friend. Bye. Bye. Bye.